and welcome to another edition or sort of edition of the Beervana podcast. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. Yeah, hops part two. Uh, that's right. Talking with the hop master part two. Uh, before we do that, uh, of course, with me as always is Jeff Allworth, author of the Beer Bible and Cider Main Simple and the Beervana blog. And with me is Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at uh, Oregon State University and the blogger at Beeronomics. That's right. And so today uh, we uh, are talking to um, Jeff Clausen and Tom Shellhammer at the OSU Brewery. Uh, We talked to Tom Shellhammer last pod (laughs) in his office. (laughs) I say today, but we're recording these both on the same day. So. uh, so the first part of this podcast was Jeff uh, was Tom Jeff and I with Tom in his office uh, talking about uh, the laboratory and the things they're doing at Oregon State University and then he took us on a tour of the brewery and after the tour of the brewery we uh, stopped and met up with uh, uh, Jeff Clausen yep uh, and uh, Tom himself and sat around uh, talking about the program talking about the brewing part of it and drinking beer. Testing their beers. That's right. And uh, the it was a nice uh, discussion where we were talking about the beers they brewed, which led in naturally into uh, a series of discussions about more more about hops. So we learned a little bit about what they're doing there uh, at OSU. We learned a little bit more about what Jeff does. Um, he is the, the brewery manager there at the Pilot Brewery at OSU. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get into some cool hop chat. Uh, which, and I teased this the last time, includes uh, biotransformation, uh, the process <laughs> of yeast, yeast and uh, hops interacting, plus other cool stuff. Excellent. So uh, this is a fairly long segment. There is some ambient noise uh, because we're in not only a working brewery, but uh, also a research facility. So there's things that hum and buzz. and but uh, uh, So excuse the, the, the audio quality, but I think it's, it's pretty decent. Um, and we have quite a lot of chat, so we're just going to get right into it. Yeah, so this will be an abbreviated version of the podcast where we mainly play this interview and we don't do a bunch of talking. So we'll let you get right into the, the good stuff. Much to the relief of the listeners. That's right. <laughs> hey, you, you, uh, you, you give us your forbearance through the, for that other stuff, but today we, we dispense with it all. That's right. So let's take a trip down to Corvallis again uh, to the OSU uh, Fermentation Science Brewery. Now, here would be great if you had the Beaver Fight Song, whatever it is. Oh my gosh, I'm not even sure I could come up with it. On beavers, proud and true. Uh, uh, yeah. Something, something like that. Something. Anyway, <laughs> on to Corvallis we go. All right, here we go. All right, and we're back, and we now have a fourth member. We're a quartet. We have Jeff Clausen, yep. and you're the, what's your title here? Uh, pilot Research Brewery Manager. Okay. And we're down here in the brewery, your domain. Yep. And we have in our hand uh, a Hellas. Hellas. So this was, uh, uh, what beers do you have on here? Are these beers that are made by the students? Like, what, what's For what's the, the most part, these are, these are beers brewed by the students. Uh, the Hellas is our trainer, trainer beer. So we have new students that usually start in the spring, and by summer they're working independently. This is a beer we brew every summer, and we stick the new kids on it. This is not a training beer. Hellas is a really hard beer to brew. Exactly. Yeah. So once yeah. they once they can brew <laughs> this beer, Hellas. yeah, then we're like, okay, now we, we, we can let you loose. Okay. Well, uh-huh. we don't totally let them loose, but we have our confidence is raised to the point that we're not too worried about them messing things up. Right. Yeah. I mean, accidents happen, but it's 
they're not right. just going to be um, ham-fisted in helping out making research beers. Right. Yep. Yeah, one year actually the students made the Hellas and mistakenly put ale yeast in and it turned into a Kolsch. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. mm-hmm. Yeah, that's we, all right. We for a while. In terms of screwing up the beer, that's a pretty minor way to do it. So. Yeah, so yeah, with the, the six beers here, yeah, one that Hellas is a trainer beer. Two of these beers are um, collaboration beers. Mm-hmm. So one is a collaboration with CBA, is one of our students, actually two of our students work there, but when I say our students, we kind of have two levels of our. We have our at OSU, and then within that there's even a subgroup that of students that I employ in my lab to either work upstairs doing research stuff that we talked about earlier, right. or downstairs here where we are in the pilot brewery, we actually have an even larger cohort of students that help Jeff and myself, our team, produce beers. So, so of that, of our team, one of the students went to work at uh, CBA last summer, so at the end of the summer they did a collaboration beer. And then several of our students, including our grad students, uh, are worked on a separate collaboration with Hop Work, I mean, um, Hop Valley, Valley. Uh, yeah. Valley, to make the Civil Oil um, beer. CBA is uh, Craft Brewers Alliance, which is Woodmere and, and Red Hook, exactly. Connor. Yep, and then let's see. Um, the Berliner Pills, this is a beer that we were talking about, is basically a, kind of like an industrial development project. <clears throat> we have companies that come to us that say, hey, can you brew us a beer, or you're starting a brewery, or we have breweries that already have breweries, like Bridgeport, they do all the new product development on our brewery here at OSU. And we have companies that are from outside the industry, or maybe on the edge of the industry, that might sell adjuncts, or maybe they're in the industry, they sell malt, or they sell hops, or they sell whatever, and they're like, hey, can you, develop a beer or test something for us or we need to have something certified. So that's what this Berliner Pills is, is basically working with a company that sells a processing aid to the brewing industry. And then the last one, the slice, um, that one's just a fun beer. So as we were talking on our tour, we make beers that um, are in the same style categories as what the craft industry in Oregon makes. So we make IPAs and double IPAs. Um, sour beers, barrel-aged beers, lager beers, um, mixed gas, nitro beers. Uh, we do make American light lager beers as well as German-style beers. I mean, the German beers that we make are kind of inspired to some degree on, on both Jeff and our love for German beers. And we talked about my sabbatical stay in, in Berlin. And so and I became totally immersed in German beers then and when Jeff came and visited we did a lot of German beer tasting and when we came back it was like okay let's make some knockoffs so that Berliner Pils is an homage to Jever which is both Jeff and I we kind of a a favorite Pilsner beer so coming back to the Hellas uh, it's a it's a nice malty it's not it's a fairly uh, not a super hoppy example, so we're, yep. what, we're, what we're looking for is a lot of malt character. Yep, malt forward. This one's fermented at uh, slightly warmer lager temperatures, so we get more ester forming to ferment formation. Uh-huh. Yep. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of, uh, how do you describe that ester? It's kind of it's hard almost to say. artificial candy. Yep. Slightly fruity. Not, I, would, I wouldn't call it banana-y, but it's... No, it's... 
but the yeast that we use in this is also kind of a sulfury producing lager yeast as well. So it's, um, if you're looking at like Heineken lager beer, Heineken is a very estuary um, lager beer, but yeah. doesn't have that sulfur, I wouldn't say backbone, but undercurrent, which right. this does. This yeah. has a little yeah. bit of this, um, not sulfitic, but more sulfurous aroma. Do you have any comments there, economist? I agree. <laughs> Wise <Well -heartedly>. man. <laughs> it's quite nice, very quaffable. What's, what do you suggest next? Into Keller. Into Keller, okay. Into Keller. Wow, that's going to pour hot. So, Tom, when we were first starting out in home brewing, it seemed like what everyone was looking for in hops was uh, super bittering hops, high off acid. And now it seems like everyone just wants flavor and aroma. Is that? Yeah, I think that, that um, and I've said this a number of times, that like American craft brewers, and just American culture in general is not really about finesse. It's, like, <laughs> it's about like really loud music and fast cars and bright lights. You know, Spinal Tap. I'm gonna turn my my <laughs> amplifier up to eleven, right? Turn and my I think, IPA up to eleven. Exactly. <laughs> like, hundred BUs. Oh, I can do better than that. Yeah. Right. So I think there was a an arms race mentality for um, beer in terms of like alcohol. And bitterness. And can I melt your face? With right, with, with, right, exactly. And something changed maybe two or three, four years ago where brewers realized that consumers really didn't want the most bitter beer. That consumers liked hop flavor, mm -hmm. but they really, you know, bitterness, only, you can only go so far with that. Yeah. And so they changed their approach to brewing hoppy beers to accentuate hop aroma but try to downplay hop um, bitterness. Well, we, well, I've talked to brewers, and they point out that when you add hops late in the boil, all the brewing manuals tell you your efficiency uh, your, uh, of extracting bitterness will be a certain level. And they were putting, uh, even out of whirlpool hops, they were getting what they thought of as way in excess of these things. So can yeah, you talk about yeah. that? So, yeah, so there's, I guess, two points in there. One is, like, like with the, the big brewers, they would definitely focus on hop efficiency. When they meant hop efficiency, they were talking about the extraction of bitter compounds. Right. And as we were just were talking, this sort of change in attitude or approach to hopping beer was like actually trying to downplay bitterness. Right. And so it turns hop utilization on its head. Like it's actually trying to have low hop utilization by hopping later and later in the brewing process um, and to the point that you would actually add hops maybe just to cold beer, so dry hopping, right? Yeah. Right. And so there are some beers, like you look at, uh, like Kona Big Wave, beautiful beer, but it's like homeopathic amounts of hops in the kettle. <laughs> when it comes out of the brew house, it's got like seven BUs or less. And then they just load it full of hops um, dry, and they dry hop it. So it's this beer that is really hop forward, but it's very, very low in bitterness. But the, the, the second part of your question, it's not still seven BUs. The BU level actually creeps up and so the BU is actually, and the sensory bitterness, is creeping up during dry hopping or late um, kettle hopping, whirlpool hopping, for a number of reasons. Probably the most significant reason is that there are oxidation products in hops that um, prevent the hops from isomerizing. So they don't, alphas isomerize to iso alpha acids, and the isos are what make hop, makes beer bitter. 
if that summarization process doesn't occur, then okay, that, that bitterness really isn't there. But it turns out that the, the oxidation products of alpha acids themselves are bitter. And so just like isos are more soluble in beer than the alpha acids are, the oxidation products are more soluble as well. And so as a brewer adds hops that have some degree of oxidation, I mean, all, all hops will have some degree of oxidation. Those hops contain these oxidation products. And even though they're not getting any isomerization with a cold dry hop addition or a late whirlpool hop addition, they are extracting the fairly water soluble hop oxidation products. And so when right now in our lab, we're doing work looking at trying to, to hunt bitterness and identify what things are really driving bitterness in really hoppy beers. And it turns out that isos, if you, if you track isos like you would if you're making lager beer, with isos and lager beer, you're about 90% of the way there, maybe even 95% of the way there. And with, uh, with the hop forward beers, if you just track isos, you're only maybe, it could be in some cases 40% of the way there. Right. There's other stuff that's adding to bitterness. And what we found in the last year or two with some work we've done is that these oxidation products, these humulinones, in some beers are there in higher amounts than the isos. So take, for example, the Kona Big Wave. You got small amount of isos because of this homeopathic hop addition in the kettle, <laughs> but then they dry hop. I don't know. It's I don't know what their hopping rate is, but it's probably I would imagine two, three pounds per barrel. Some big dry hop addition, and so when you look at that, you actually see a fair amount of, of humulinones relative. These are the oxidation products relative to the isos, and those guys present bitterness. Not the same amount of bitterness as iso, but still a significant amount of bitterness. Yeah. And hop. Yeah, the volume of. of hot plants that are going into these beers is way in excess of what they would have done a typical oh, beer Oh, yeah, yeah, ago. exactly. So, so you think you a beer, typical beer 10 years ago or, or 20 years ago, the hopping amount, even if you talk about Yever, which is a you know, hoppy beer, the hopping levels on Yever, which would just be primarily a front-end kettle hop addition compared to a beer that's kettle hopped, late hopped, and dry hopped, you might have 20 to it could be as much as 40 times more hops being wow. used in those beers than in a traditional lager beer. And so even though you might have a small amount of oxidation products, the fact that you're using 40 times more hops means that you just can't avoid it, right? And so these things impart bitterness in beer. That's fascinating. Yeah. And hop polyphenols as well to some degree, like when you make tea, you just make green tea or brown tea, black tea, so is that at a, home, you, you can get bitterness from that. Was that a tannin? You can think of it like a tannin, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so as these as these things polymerize, they, 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 they um, can create some degree of bitterness. When they're really, um, really small, they get a little bit more astringent, and as they polymerize, they get bitter, and then and they polymerize large enough, they actually drop out of solution, and it's kind of like why a wine ages, its mouthfeel changes. Beer can do that to some degree. So these polyphenols can contribute to bitterness as well, but we found that that contribution is much, much lower than the contribution coming from the oxidation products. Wow. So, so and cool. the BU will capture that, but but not entirely as well. Yeah, yeah so is BU an outdated measure? Yeah. Are there other ways to measure? There are other ways to measure. And the challenge, like being able to hunt the oxidation products we can hunt that with uh, an instrument called a liquid uh, chromatograph. But to buy a liquid chromatograph, 
is, I don't know, you're going to drop 60 to 75K on a liquid chromatograph, and to do a BU measurement, you need a spectrophotometer that might be, let's say, $5,000 and some glassware and whatnot. So we're, you know, an order of magnitude different in cost. Just the BU measure. The BU measure, right, exactly. But it's not completely that, that clean because the, the labor cost in the BU measurement is a little bit higher than the, than the LC measurement. Uh, we've got solvent issues like using trimethylpentane, this, this solvent that we actually use to extract the bitter compounds with the BU. Uh -huh. Get to buy that and dispose of that. So it's not a, as clean as just saying, ah, well this BU measurement is so much cheaper. Right. There are other headaches to it. Yeah. But it's kind of like going, you know, when a brewer grows up to a certain point, they've got to put on the big boy pants and the LC is one of those <laughs> things that's like in the pocket of the big boy pants. So, all right. So we've got the uh, uh, the Keller beer. Anybody want to comment on this? This is a really interesting beer. I like yeah. this beer a lot. I yeah. like it a lot yeah. too. It's my yeah. first time actually tasting this. So yeah, it was released when I was gone last week. Yep. So released here in Corvallis at Suds and Suds. They have it at the pub up at Widmere. Okay. Right now, but uh, yeah, made with German malts and uh, the Weinstaufen uh, Lager yeast. And Hutzbrugger is one of the hops in there. Uh, I can't remember what else went into it. It's got a really interesting spicy, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Lemon limey, lemon spicy. Limey, spicy, exactly. I, yeah, very, right very. Right in the mid palate too. It's mm -hmm. just, yeah. It sits right there. For me, it has kind of an earthy undertone too. A little. Uh huh. But it's not. I mean, it's earthy, but not like dirty. No, no. Yeah, exactly. it's just like. Mm -hmm. That's so, great. Yeah, yeah. turned out really well. Yeah, yeah. this is. Yeah. I, do you? Doesn't say on there what the what the BUs are on this. It, we haven't analyzed this beer. It, I'm sure the folks at the CBA have looked at it, but we don't have the data on it. And I just threw that through our name tag together right. real okay. fast, so we can. Well, this is one of those beers that has, I, I assume, relatively low BUs, but mm -hmm. the hops mm -hmm. add a wonderful layer of, of complexity to help tie everything yeah. together. It's a little as well as any yeast that's hanging that's around. Great. Yeah, it's a really great beer. Wow. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. Should we? Uh, so what's next? Move on. We should try that Berliner Pils. We should yeah. try that Berliner Pils. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Now that has the kind of clarity you expect in a Berliner Pils. Yeah, the, the Keller beer was definitely Keller. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Keller esque. This yeah. is beautiful. Yeah, so the, the Berliner Pils, as we talked about, was a beer that's, when we say Berliner, we're just thinking generalizing northern German pills, uh -huh. which, in my opinion, tend to be more bitter as you go north. And it's kind of a rugged bitterness. I, mm -hmm. The one that uh, we had at Alan Taylor, at Zoigel House, that Alan Taylor made, it was, um, we had a the first drink or two that I had, I was like, yeah, kind of had to shake it off, and then your palate adjusted, <laughs> and it was all right. Yeah, it was quite a surprising bitter yeah. snap. I, this is softer. This one is softer. It's softer, softer. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, we don't have the, oh, we have 30 BUs. Okay, so it's, yeah. It's up there. Do BUs, it seems like BUs present themselves more assertively in lagers. Uh, because maybe there's less other flavors to exactly there's less other stuff there. Yep. Yeah. So um, 
bitterness grows. It does grow on you. The bitterness grows, and that's where that's where I feel it is mm -hmm. letting it just sit and grow. Yeah, so side of the tongue, it's hard uh -huh. to pick up. That's kind of what makes IPAs and like double IPAs more drinkable, is that you've got more residual extract, that is the, the unfermentables that are left behind. Yep. Um, and in higher alcohol beers, in many cases, those beers don't fully attenuate, so you have a little bit of residual sweetness as well. And so both the sweetness and the residual extract and the high alcohol provide more structure and balance. Well, these, these sound like really squishy words, but they, they, you can carry much more bitterness. And in fact, some of these beers actually need more bitterness. So if you were to take the like a Bud Light, start dropping in isos on it or dry hopping it it would become this unpleasant bitter like totally out of whack beer right belgians have trouble with this when they uh the craft beer thing got to belgium and they make these beers with a fair amount of sugar so they're very dry they're very attenuated yeah they have no body at all right and then you put any kind of bitterness in there and, and it's, it's just, just like it's, yeah. yeah it doesn't work mm -hmm. and the flip side is true too like you take a beer like for me like a doppelbach is a beer that I find kind of cloying. It's high alcohol, high residual extract, tends to be high sweetness, but low bitterness. Right. And it's just like, they can be almost insipid because you're just, a little bit is fine, but you know, they had this Bach beer festival in, in Germany in, in, in the spring in Munich, and they, they serve these Bach beer in Moss, you know, like a liter <laughs> of Bach beer. One is just crazy, because it's 8% beer, but I don't know if I could even get a liter down because you know, it's so... And it's going to warm up. Oh, yeah, I know. But you toss in some hops, get some bitterness in there, then okay, you can... Right. It becomes a little more drinkable. Right. right. This beer is very nice. This beer is very nice, and it does have... Uh, there's a sweet note that also begins to present itself in balance to that hoppy note. I don't know what it is, but there's kind of a... It's a nice... Yeah, it's a well-done malt sweetness. Yep, yep. I like very, it. It's uh, one of my favorite beers right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a very biscuity kind of malt. Mm -hmm. It's nice. Now, Sibylle. Okay, it, so it, it should be noted that the that the color was Enta Keller, which is a pun that we'll leave it to the listeners to figure out. E N T E. Yeah, Enta. And it is it is worth noting that uh, this is Deutsch. The yes. uh, the the campus here is. 30 miles from a rival campus? Is that how far it is? Uh, probably uh, yeah, 30, 30 to 40 miles. Yeah. Uh, and it is a rivalry. It is totally a rivalry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so mm -hmm. some, um, as, as this beer that we're drinking now attests also. Right, this, civil, this is the, the Civil War ale. So yeah, the Civil War is this, this um, rivalry between U of O and OSU. One of the it's oldest a, in the nation. Is it is right? one of. The, I think it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My my first job was at Ohio State University, uh, and their rivalry is with Michigan. Yeah. So that's I, like a kill your children rivalry. That's a real yeah. rivalry. That, it's that a real rivalry. That's what I was telling people when I came here. It's like you know when <laughs> if you're in Columbus and uh, the Buckeyes lose to Michigan, they start flipping cars and setting them on fire. <laughs> Patrick and I went to grad school together. All we went to college and grad school together in, at, at Wisconsin. So we, oh, we know about Big Ten football. Yeah. So the funny thing is, though, in Columbus, when the Buckeyes win, 
they start flipping cars and setting them on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might have something to do with this. So yeah. it's yeah. in Wisconsin. Yes. There's a fair amount of drinking happening. Mm -hmm. yep. All right, so this is the Civil Ale. This is the Civil Ale, right? So this is another collaboration beer that uh, we did with, um, not we, but our students did with um, Hot Valley. We've done, this is the, the third, we've done some collaboration beers way back when we first got started, right? We, we had guest brewers coming down here. Yep. And we've yep. had guest brewers come down from, we had Alan Sprintz come down, and Larry Sador, and Alan folks. Alan from Hair the Dog, Hair Larry Sador, formerly of the Shoots. Shoots, right. So, at, uh, Crux. Crux, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But in the last, let's say, three years or so, we've done some collaboration beers where the breweries have approached us and say, hey, can we collaborate together on, on a beer, kind of like in the same uh, spirit that you find different breweries collaborating with each other. And why uh, would they choose you? What do you? I assume you have a bunch of interesting things you might offer them. Yeah. So the first collaboration beer of this kind of recent era was with Bridgeport. They were celebrating their 30th anniversary, and they had this trilogy series. And the first of the trilogy series was it was an homage to one of Jeff's Edgerton that head guy there, his favorite beer, he was made a beer that was dry hopped with crystal, I think it was, right? And the second trilogy two was one that was a tribute to the person who developed the original Bridgeport IPA. And I, I can't remember what the guy's name is. Yeah, the Australian. Australian yes. guy, exactly, right. Mm -hmm. Yep, so they Phil Sexton. Phil Sexton, thank you, Sexton. Phil Sexton, way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So, they made, old brain. so they made this kind of Aussie style, you know, Southern Hemisphere hopped IPA. And then the third beer they wanted to make was like looking to the future. And so Jeff and Bridgeport have done, they've done a lot of work at OSU. They said, you know, let's do something with the OSU because they're kind of like the future of, of brewing in terms of future brewers. So our students went up there and they kind of round tabled a set of ideas and trial brewed beers down here and produced a production beer up there. It was Trilogy 3. Cool and surprising thing about this is that they sent it to the European Beer Star Awards and it won a gold medal. Wow. That's yeah, awesome. I know. That was really cool. And so one of the students sure actually students went, and Jeff, went over to Germany to accept this award. That is I incredibly know. cool. It's really cool. It did not yeah. suck. Yeah. Did not suck. No. <laughs> That's awesome. And so that was, the, that was the first collaboration beer. And since then, we've had other breweries come to us and say, hey, can we do a collaboration beer too? It's because it's fun. I think you know, everybody's looking for new beer ideas. Mm -hmm. And students are totally uninhibited by convention or the whatever the corporate culture, or it doesn't have to be corporate; it could be whatever the brewery culture sure. would, would exist yeah. in, in a workplace. So it's neat when people come and reach out to our students. You and also have this interesting scientific approach to thinking about flavor, which um, the way we were talking about, you know, the way you evaluate hop flavor mm -hmm. and, and stuff. Um, I, just walking around your brewery and your facilities today. Very, it's very much more an academic environment. You have your coolers that have each have their own little purpose. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Every place it's got its own purpose. It's very academic. You go to a brewery, it's chaos. Right. It's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> brewers are like, uh, what am I going to brew today? And they just think of something and they they, they do pull it. it out of their butt and they make yeah, it. Yeah. Exactly. Know? So it's very. Uh, it, I wonder if that kind of deliberative approach might be discipline. Yeah. 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 We have deliberative. Disciplined approach, yeah. but I think also we. Um, and I kind of point to Jeff because Jeff is helping model something within our our undergraduate brewing staff. Um, his wife works for Rec Sports, and Rec Sports has got this really terrific um, student leadership, student-driven 
um, Enterprise, uh-huh. so the Rexports domain over at Dixon has professional staff who kind of help provide ballast and guide the ship. Right. But the facilities are run by, maybe not facilities, but the operation is run by students. Mm-hmm. And so students are brought in and trained and work their way up, and, and so it's students training students, and and there's all this like focus on development. And I think it was five or six years ago, Jeff said, like, why aren't we doing that here yeah. in yeah. our program? And it's so, a great opportunity for the students to get to work with professional brewers and see yeah. professional oh, yeah. mm-hmm. facilities. So. And so we well, kind of have that hierarchy now that, that we've got students that we bring in. We try to bring them in young and train them, and then and then they move into kind of a, a more senior level. And then at some point, they hopefully become like the, the head brewer of the students. Mm-hmm. And what Jeff will do is at the beginning of the week, talk to that person and say, this is the work that's happening this week. Nice. You staff it and, and you make it you make it happen. That's yeah, great. that's the challenge. That's mm-hmm. Being a production brewer is juggling, cleaning and juggling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we're teaching them leadership skills, yeah. which I think are, it's kind of that intangible that you don't pick up in the classroom. Right. So, and it truly is hands-on education. And it's, it's, it's real world because you're doing the same thing that they do in breweries when you're doing yeah. a production schedule and trying to yeah. get people yep. in there who are going to brew it on time. And I think one of the, the, the unique challenges here is that the, the students that are working for us, and I say for us, in, in, our, in the, the brewing lab, are not here all the time. Right? Right. So they're in classes and, and you've got students of different ages and different spots in their academic career. And so there needs to be some sense of structure here because that student who would know where to put the keg in that room over there, you know, in six months is gone. He's like right, doing right. an internship, yeah. or whatever. So we yeah. try to have a, some sense of we have a really uh, thick binder of standard yeah. operating <laughs> procedures. standard operating procedures. Yeah, we have students yeah. actually write the SOPs, yep. yeah, yeah, and so good. they own the SOPs and they follow the SOPs. And that sounds a little like bureaucratic, but I think it provides structure and consistency. Yeah, and I think that's something you probably learn in a brewery, too, because you have, especially when you're getting into larger production breweries where they need to make consistent beers, mm-hmm. you can't make a beer a different time, you know, different, you've got to follow, you have your own SOP, so right. you've got to go mm-hmm. through the same steps. Yeah, yeah, and so some of these beers that we make, uh, when we were walking around talking about, like, different components in the brewery, if we're making uh, experimental hop beers that we're going to send out of OSU and we're going to send them to Anheuser-Busch, or to Heineken, or to Miller Coors, or to Suntory, or to Sierra Nevada or Stone, they're going around the world. Right. And it's like, that puts us, not on edge, but it like, we have to make sure that what we're putting out there is like, good, consistent, legit. And so these SOPs help Jeff and I sleep at night, so right. that the students are like, okay, Let's talk about this beer. What? What? Uh, this is the civil ale. What is yeah. it hopped with? Because I'm it's pretty American. We moved from Germany to America. Yeah, yeah. we're definitely yeah. in America right now. Mm-hmm. To American. I'm trying to remember. It's got it's got crystal hops in it, and I can't remember what else. I wish yeah. we had one of the students, students here on yeah. the project. Mm-hmm. It's definitely um, got more than crystal. Yeah, it's got an aroma. Yeah, it's yeah, got, got an aroma. I can't pin. That's right. It's uh, it's got those really. Uh, Kind of rich tropical fruits that I think mm-hmm. about, like o- almost overripe in a jungle, kind of right. like feels yeah. hot and mm-hmm. tropical. But they are OSU hops. They're hops that were bred okay. through the USDA yeah. breeding program. It was program. basically yeah. all OSU beer. Mm. So the hops have come from OSU breeding efforts, OSU slash USDA breeding efforts. 
and the malt comes from OSU breeding efforts. So the malt has come from a barley that was bred by Pat Hayes, the OSU barley breeder. Huh? Very so cool. So this is the full pint. So. And is this a barley that's bred to be grown in Oregon? Or? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's barley. Uh, Pat's a barley breeder, barley geneticist, and this is a, a release from his program. We definitely had three years ago. Oregon is not like uh, North Dakota and Canada, so we. Barley probably needs to be different to grow. It's here. different, yeah. And and Pat's big uh, push has been growing winter barleys. Uh -huh. they, they, this is they're well suited for this climate here. It's not as cold as it is in the Midwest. Right. And the benefits of planting in the fall and harvesting and, and late spring as opposed to late summer. There's a lot of benefits there. So he does a lot of breeding on, on winter barleys. Yeah, yep. And so it was a beer that was his civil ale was. Released at the Civil War game. Civil War game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Hundred and whatever annual. Exactly. Civil War game. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Who, uh, so both teams were not very good this year. Who won? I don't remember. The Beavers. The Beavers won Way this year. Beavers. Finally. Beavers won. Finally. Oh, exactly. <laughs> so it was all because of the beer. What's cool about this is the the brewery, Hop Valley, is located down in Eugene. Right. Their head brewer and one of the partner owners is Trevor Howard, who went through our program, graduated in two thousand. Three? No, no, ah. four. I think two thousand four. Yeah, ah. and worked in, worked in the lab with that. Yep. So, yep. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's it's a great history. Yeah, you know, and he started a, a good story. Yep. Yep. yep, exactly. And now and now it's AB or Miller yeah, it's Miller Coors. Miller Coors. Yeah, I know yeah. exactly. Way so yeah. I know it's like Here's a success hint. story. Yeah. So yeah, I bet you wish at you least started I, a brewery in two thousand three. I think so. It's interesting how the the public perception of of a buyout. In the yeah. craft industry is different than a buyout in the tech industry. Yeah, right. right. Everybody's dream in the tech industry is to be bought yeah, by absolutely. by Google or Microsoft. Yeah. And now you get bought by. You only have your millions to console you. And yeah, exactly. Or billions, right? <laughs> if you're a ballast point. Wow. So, yeah. yeah <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. So Trevor will be the next, of course, endowed chair. The Trevor Howard. Wow. We would hope. Yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> you be heard great. it here first. Be a great legacy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, should we Last try that one? slice? Oh, yeah, slice. slice. Oh, yeah. So we, 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 we were talking earlier about the slice, the formerly known as peaches and orange bits. Exactly. Yeah, so is this... And the dynamic nature of... Hot I guess fiber. we're going to find out whether it's a peach... Is it yeah, peach so, phase or the armpit so, phase? Yeah. It's, it's past the armpit phase. Okay. Well, I'll be the judge of that. Exactly. I have to <laughs> Are you, are you no. sensitive to armpit? Yeah. So you, let's let's broach a topic that is really heated among um, the nerdier, bloggy precincts of the beer world. This thing is very clear. And clear versus cloudy IPAs, right? Yeah, there's this whole thing about cloudy IPAs, and many people believe that uh, if you can't, if you, if you if you can see through your glass, it, somehow the the brewer has robbed it of its flavor and aroma. So. These cloudy IPAs. Do you have any comments about? Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting um, progression or evolution of craft beer. So when I met um, a fairly notable craft brewer who will not be named in Portland when I first came to town in 2001, um, I was visiting his brewery. He was showing me his beer, and his beer was all cloudy, and he's he chalked it up as like. My consumers prefer that, 
because it tells them that it's handmade right. and it is not the flaw um, means it's genuine that it is not mass produced right. and I thought okay let's do it that's making lemonade out of lemons <laughs> I mean that means you just can't make clear beer because there's plenty of British brewers that can make clear beer without filtration I mean the whole idea of cast beer okay they're using finings but the, the idea there is to make a very clear beer to begin with right. so there are ways to get at that that's on one end. And then as you know, we kind of move uh, forward in time and also in sophistication, um, the ability of brewers as they get, as they grow and with technology, you know, like a centrifuge or whatnot, can produce beers that are clear, or not really clear, but at least not turbid. And so I, I find it ironic now as we move into a, an era where at least in the last, let's say maybe 12 months, I don't know how long it's, for me, it feels like it's been 12 months. Maybe longer? Yeah, maybe a couple of years. A couple of years even, really. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not that connected with the consumer, but I'm, I'm hearing <laughs> I it now about regret I am, but these really is. turbid, like milkshake-looking beers. Yeah, and I think and have that... You, have you had so, any of these, like the ones from... Have you had a Heady Topper or anything from Trillium or... I have not had a Trillium beer, no. Um, the I've seen folks in, 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 uh, in the Northwest making right. these really... Cloudy beers. I've talked to brewers saying, "Yeah, we're adding clouding agents. We're adding some people are adding. We're adding like starch. Yeah, which they're literally adding flour. Flour, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is well, one thing. That I and I think that's like there, there is a there is a serious uh, uh, kind of argument that some people have made, which is that there's an interaction uh, apparently on the East Coast in New England. They're using non-flocculent English yeast strains. Right. And the idea that I've heard forwarded, and I'm, I'm passing this along, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm taking the fifth on whether I believe it or not, I want to hear what you have to say, is that the interaction uh, between the yeast activity and the hops uh, post, post like apparently partly during fermentation and then post-fermentation. Yeah. And, you know, you've still got yeast in there and you still have yeast activity happening. Mm -hmm. Uh does something that helps brighten and intensify the hop aromas and flavors. Do you, do you think that's possible? I think it's totally possible, yeah. So we've got, <clears throat> we've got stu a student who just graduated who did a, his whole doctoral thesis on biotransformation of hop flavors. Yeah. So we, uh, we know that yeast can biotransform hop flavors. Can they actually intensify hop flavors? I don't know if, it's, if that's necessarily the case. I think they can certainly change the quality of hop flavor. But they don't take a, you can't take a beer at an 8 and turn it to an 11 okay. by just adding yeast. You can certainly transform some of those flavors. And that's certainly totally plausible. But the amount of yeast that you would need to do that, like even if you had this, uh, let's say a million cells per mil, is, I mean, it, it would be more turbid than this, but it would not be that much more turbid right. than this. Okay. Right. These yeast are tiny. So the level of turbidity, you know, adding like starch to just try to diffract light and make a white colored beer. <laughs> yeah, I think that's 100% consumer directed. It's but totally consumer directed. I think that the, 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 the idea of, of yeast having a, a, a transformative effect, uh, totally get get that. The, um, I've been arguing this a lot, so I, I won't even tell you which direction, but I'm, yeah. I'm really happy to have an actual authority here. Not well, I'm not, I'm not an authority on, on like whether the cloud influences you or not. You just had a student do a 
and, uh, and, and biotransformation. Bio yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, but, but, that makes that, you an expert. Okay, that makes me an expert on that, exactly. Yes. But, but we didn't look into cloudy. I'm talking about bloggers, man. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Self-appointed experts. Yes. yes, exactly. Everybody's an expert when yeah. you're in front of the keyboard. Yeah. Well, this beer is... Uh, I'm not getting the peach, I have to confess. No, so, no. And, you know, the, um, the hop bill on this one is probably different than the original. It's different than the original, yeah. yeah. It changes every year, and we've been making this beer since 2003, 2004. Oh, I think when was Alejo here? Oh, we made this with, when Alejo was here? Because Alejo was the one that came up with the whole peaches oh, and armpits. Okay, okay, I was thinking. Wow. Peter. A gentleman no. from Spain who's now. Yeah, at, so uh, he graduated in 2004, five, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, you guys, you were ahead of your time. You are so on the cutting edge here. It, this was a double IPA at the time, and now when you look at the category for double IPA, it barely squeaks in at, at 75 IBUs, 7.5% ABV, yeah, starts right. at 19 Play-Doh. The thing about this beer is... It's getting a little long in the tooth because we made it. We made it in early June, and so the first, pretty much the first three weeks, it's got a lot of those sulfur compounds, a lot of those thiols, and stinky, stinky, and then it then it starts developing more of the stone fruit. Yeah, we keep we keep the backbone hops in there: Cascade, uh, Centennial, Chinooks, and then the rest of the hops. Rotate depending on what we have in our cold room. <laughs> Some of them may be experimentals that okay. coming from Sean's program. Like we're done with them. Oh, let's brew with these. Or some of them are, yeah, whatever we've got. Yeah, yeah. it is the kind of beer that you can uh, hold in your mouth and let it warm up, and uh, you can begin to tick off flavor. You know, different flavors. I'm mm -hmm. picking up a little bit of green tea, and mm -hmm. there's uh, definitely some citrus rind. And I think one reason why people like these kinds of beers is because they have so many layers of flavor. Hops provide just right. the same mm -hmm. amount of flavor. So that, yeah, the, the complete complement or antithesis of the first beer, the, the Hellas, right. right, which is just like refreshing. Not, I mean, it's not completely unidimensional, but it's certainly not as multidimensional as so, something like an IPA. Yeah, and you're not always in the mood for all that complexity. But no, exactly. Patrick, do you have comments on this beer? Yeah, it's good. Uh, I get a little stone fruit still. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the hops that we used this year, uh, I'm having a tough time recalling because this was early June. So June is pretty long. I mean, this is. I know. We're like. <laughs> we're. This is a different kind of experience. The hops. The hops are holding up pretty well. I wouldn't say it's like exploding in the flavor and aroma, but it's yeah, super bright. Yeah. But it's. Mm -hmm. We're getting closer to next June than we were from the Yeah, yes, you really are. It's yeah. pretty nice. So our beers have a tendency to uh, to die here before they actually get drunk because yeah. we brew two barrels at a time and we might we might taste half a barrel at the most right. and then the rest of it gets dumped down the drain. Right. So we probably produce more than hundred barrels of beer on that on that yeah, little brewery. On our little system. Yeah. yeah. We produced eighty plus two years back. That yeah. would mean that yeah. you're not the smallest brewery in Oregon. No, we're not, yeah. <laughs> but we don't sell any of the beer, so right. it's like it's... Well, the OSU bottle shop has got to be coming soon. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, uh, come some on. Some cash, I can put that on. Uh, uh, 
You guys like sour beers, right? Yeah, of course. We like all beers. We're the beer podcast. We don't like bad beers. There, there's no. Yeah, so we can. No style we don't like. We can also um, dip into those barrels that we've got back there. This 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 beer he's putting on is. All right, I'm going to pause this. Yeah, pause so that. We'll come, we'll come back in a minute. Yeah. This is a good one to talk about. It's a beer. How old okay. are the hops? We're, we're back now. Yeah. 15, 20 years old. So what do we have? <laughs> so this is our this is our uh, Hessian Flanders. So it's a blend oh, of our okay. Flanders. It's uh-huh. in the back. Yeah. Have you, yep. you, you guys by yep. yeah. Yeah. So the Flanders, uh, at 18 months old, we pulled some of that off and... Um, we had it in the cold room. We made a, a peach lambic, and we used we used some, fruit. We used puree. Really good. From uh, Oregon Fruit Products. I can yeah. smell the. Can like you get some of that peach? Can't you? Not, not only the peach. I feel like I can smell the skins. Yeah. So so yeah, I'm so not. It's it's um, it's a complex beer, and, and a, this and is a food science beer. It's a food science beer, <laughs> and it's it, this is. A great beer because it gets the students in our program. They are food scientists, and it gets them away from thinking just as brewers and more as food scientists and how they approach their job. Oh my God! So we made this. Not that sour. No, no. We made this peach beer, this pesh. We used uh, peach puree, fermented it out. We had hops, hops that were. Old, old hops from the 90s, from like <laughs> 1995. Yeah, so we, we found, we were doing a clean out, yeah. and we found hops that had that were in a corny keg, right? So we, we found this, this corny keg that, yeah, we, I put that those was here away. Right, before I got here. Yeah. They were old, more than 15 years old. Wow. Yeah. And we're like, okay, let's make some beer with these make some old beer. hops. And, and I learned a lot of chatter, I bet. Oh, yeah, it was they were like, pellets. Oh, they were pellets. They were pellets. And you learn why the Belgians use really, really old hops is you can use a fraction of them uh-huh. and get the bitterness that you want. Uh-huh. Just a fraction of oxidized hops to get bitter. Okay. So the pesh that we made, even though we used a fraction of the hops, still had this bitterness <laughs> that I wasn't fond of. So we decided let's take this peach beer and blend it with Flanders. We ended up blending it 50-50 with our Flanders Red. Uh-huh. And then we back sweetened it with peach juice, concentrate, to about one and a half percent. Top noted it with some peach essence that you'd get from the concentration process. And then we adjusted the lactic acid to six grams per liter with lactic acid because the, the Flanders and the Pesh were not quite sour enough together right. with that back sweetening. So it gave the students a chance to do titratable acidity, to do some blending trials, to do some back sweetening trials, and then put together this beer that, you know, as it warms up, it's it's absolutely, to me, it's phenomenal. Yeah. It just kind so of blows So this raises off. a fascinating question. Uh, one of, in one of our earliest podcasts, Patrick and I were talking about uh, whether you should pay more for a beer that... that that goes through a lot more more stages. And he said something that still sticks in my mind. It still kind of freaks me out. He said, if there was a mass market for uh, barrel-aged beer, somebody would learn how to synthesize the flavor of barrel aging. And, and, and just basically top-noted. And just top-noted. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it really freaked me out. 
Patrick's making a, he doesn't remember that. I don't remember that, but yeah. It was, was just really obvious astute. to him, but it still freaked me out because I thought, but if you could just manufacture that, then that seems really weird. So here you guys are doing sort of that. Sort, not, sort not necessarily of that. manufacturing yeah. another flavor, flavor, but, but, you, but like, using using things that maybe people who think of the, you know, the bearded brewer like, yeah, you know, but if you went, if you went to, if you went to the Flanders region and and yeah, they, looked at they any back of Sweden those all beers, their beers, they, they back Sweden. They're doing this. You go to Rodenbach, which yeah. is like the so the mecca of this style of beer. We should you talk to Rudy. Rudy, you know, he takes old beer, young beer, blends it together, back sweetens it, pasteurizes it. It's like. Okay. <laughs> Blows your yeah. mind. It's yeah. like okay, this is the way, and that's how would, that's how you make on a large scale, scale right. uh, a consistent, and crafted, consistent beer. Yeah, yeah you can't yeah. get sour and sweet and micro stability without some technological intervention. Yeah. So, so what do you think of this? I think it's an an incredible beer, this and I think hot. yeah, I'm really digging this. I mean, beer. I think I think if a brewery made this beer, they would sell tons of it because it it, it has. Uh, the, the acidity is, is low. Right. It's not bracingly acidic. It's amazing. It's got but some it, of that funk acidity, that, that you get with uh, a barrel-aged sour beer. One, one thing that acidity provides is uh, a structure. It's why people want it in wine and, and, and cider. Mm -hmm. Beer does not use acidity. It uses hops in place of acidity to kind of create the balancing point. So it's really nice to have uh, some acidity, but of course, it's like with hops, you can way overdo it. Do it, right. Yeah. And so many of the sour beers we find in America are just like insanely, insanely sharp. So here, acidity is used uh, as a balance, as a way of balancing uh, the, 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 the fruitier, sweeter flavors. Right. The acidity mimics what happens in uh, actual fruit where you have acidity and it, it helps uh, make the flavors and aromas pop. If you don't have that, if you just make a regular ale and put fruit right. in it, it ferments out and you don't really even taste the fruit. That's what I mean, yeah. we're talking about, back we're back sweetening, but also back acidifying. Yeah. Right. Because of that one, when you back sweeten this, it was kind of flat. Yeah. And you actually needed to raise some of this, this sourness up to make it pop, but not like take the enamel off your teeth. Right. You've, you've created a really nice balance because the peach is really bright but not cloying at all. It's yeah. really mm -hmm. nicely balanced, yeah. It's dry. You could, you could drink a, a, a glass of this, a pint of this, and it would not, you wouldn't feel gross at the end. No. Right. And you would be able to drink the whole thing. That's true. Uh, it's the kind of beer that would please a beer geek and, and a person who doesn't think they like beer. You could give it to a wine drinker. Um, you know, it's it's really versatile. So I have. It's just interesting to hear you how, how manipulated it was because in beer, manipulation is is you know akin to it's a, it's apostasy. You're not supposed to manipulate anything. But that's right. one of the things that we learn going to Europe is they manipulate beer in ways that we that American craft brewers think like adding sugar to beer. Like English beer brewers do it all the time to great effect. Mm -hmm. But in U.S. I think this is a, a one of those one of those points of uh, uh, partly of maturity, but also it's a point of, of, of question. You know, it's like GMO is another thing. Like you can use GMO to manipulate food, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it becomes it, it falls into a category of controversy. I, I'm not sure that this is a right or wrong. Like GMO, it's, I'm, sure, I'm not sure it's right or wrong. It's a different way of making beer, beer, and some people will philosophically be opposed at all costs. But there's like, a lot of crappers that are already doing it. Yeah. yeah. Right? That are making right. so this whole category of fruit-assisted 
IPAs. Yeah. Right. So you've got IPAs or wheat beers that are blended with something, yeah. some sort of fruit to jack up citrus character or jack up yeah. something else. Mm -hmm. I think people don't want to know about it. They they love the romance, the, the mm -hmm. romance of uh, the artist. And, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe that was always over. Well, we could make a beer like this maybe one in ten times right. and right. have a taste like this. We could reproduce this beer. Right. Exactly. In a few months. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. And this yeah. gets back to your, if we could figure out a, a, a much quicker way to manufacture the same flavors that you find in barrel-aged beer. And that raises another philosophical question, which is, do people like the flavor of barrel-aged beer because they like the flavor, or do they like it because they know it sat in that barrel for two years and they like the story and the romance <laughs> of right, the right, idea right, right, of it? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I bet it's probably different depending on the consumer. Yeah. Because if the consumer really doesn't understand what a barrel-aged beer is, and they, then, it's, then that whole aging part is lost on them. Yeah. yeah. So, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, it's a fascinating beer, and I wish, this is one, Patrick and I always taste beers on this pod, but um, nobody else can taste them with us, and some, sometimes that's okay, because we're drinking a readily available beer, but no this one else not. on no the one podcast else is. <laughs> yeah, this beer. Come by OSU, <laughs> knock on our door. Hey, knock on the door. Where's the fish? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's cool. Yeah, we're going to have to, maybe we should do a, a podcast about manipulating beer. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's not a bad idea. And, and maybe talk about traditional styles of beer that people would consider manipulated. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe that's part of it, too. Yeah. At a certain I, point, if, it, if you've done it long enough, if you've manipulated a beer long enough in a particular way, then it becomes yeah. tradition and it's an art, artisanal. Right, right. Well, yeah. if, you go, if you go to the small to medium-sized English cask brewers in the UK, they're putting colorants in their beer. And it's not only sugar, but colorants, and that's very much accepted. That's interesting. Yeah. Very much accepted. I think that, if we I, did my that guess here, is that it's very much unknown, and yeah. I bet would not be yep. super accepted. That's interesting. Yeah. What do they color it with? I don't That's something I'm not even that aware of. Caramel coloring. Caramel coloring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Caramel coloring. Which is an old tradition in industrial brewing, when you have a, like a Negro Modelo, you can tell that no roasted malted pond are making that beer. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, actually, in some some brewers will use that as a, a common tool. They actually brew it a low color spec and then trim color, just like prepackaging, yeah. to try to provide consistency. Because the visual aspect of beer is sort of maybe uh, underestimated. Right. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you think the folks who come out of this program have a more, uh, a less romanticized version of brewing and a more, um, yeah. no? Many of them are still too young yeah. <laughs> to be either cynical or or have the veil completely pulled off. Yeah. And we're, and, and it, as much as we emphasize the science behind it, I think we still embrace the art of brewing and giving mm -hmm. students the freedom to choose in their class projects what they brew yeah. and to let them explore. Yep. I think that's really important. The same thing with these, these uh, collaboration beers. 
Yeah, yeah. totally hands off. So, yeah. And the science that you're doing, Tom, uh, is very much a tool for the findings that you have provide brewers tools to use. That's what we hope. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the kind of research I'd like to do is very much applied, like stuff that you can levers you can pull and you can taste the difference. Well, I think we may go taste some barrel-aged beer, but we should probably, uh, I don't want to run too long and yeah. uh, kill our audience. Uh, so thanks so much, guys, Jeff and Tom. Yeah. Thanks for coming down to OSU. Oh, it was yeah. our pleasure. It's been a long time coming. Yeah. We, we continued to tease uh, our visit down here, and then it got canceled. So we've been teasing this for like three months. So. I know. Exactly. Between <laughs> ice storms we made and, it. and yeah. exactly. <laughs> flu. And, yeah. yeah. Cool. So it's our real pleasure. Good. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. And here we are, <laughs> back at Podcast HQ. Uh, we would like to thank uh, Jeff Clausen and Tom Shellhammer for that, that second segment. Uh, we hope you enjoyed that here on the pod. This is, of course, the Beavers Fight Song. Yeah, I wish I had any idea what the words were. Go, you beavers. Fight, fight. It's probably something about fight. Fight really hard, win the game. Yeah. Yep. Go Beavers. All go. very chaste and G-rated. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Thanks very much to Tom and Jeff uh, for showing us the fermentation science program at OSU. Uh, until next time, Jeff. I guess that's yep. us done. That's us done. Two pods in two weeks, or right. one week, or whatever, whatever it that length of time is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the, the two-parter pod, and uh, we'll see you next time. Send us your uh, emails to the underscore beer at yahoo.com. <laughs> Log into the Beeronomics blog, Facebook, uh, Beervana blog Facebook page, and leave comments there. None this I've never heard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cheers, All right. Jeff. Cheers, Patrick.